We're going to be celebrating Miss Lou and Brother Bill's 60th, is that right? 60th anniversary. So you come out and be with them today. Yeah, wow. It, uh, it's going to be at 5 o'clock today, and I'm sure they're going to have all the bells and whistles out. And Most importantly, we're going to get to eat, probably some cake and different things. And so y'all come, and uh, we're going to celebrate with them. We, we sure are thankful for you, Mr. Bill, Miss Lou. We sure appreciate you. I know I do for sure because they always say, man, you did a good job. I tell them, I tell Miss Lou, I could just stand up there and do jumping jacks for 20 minutes. And you say, wow, you did a great job. So if you got your Bibles, we're going back to 1 John. I'm going to, try to, I'm going to hurry today, so I'm going to try to get through the first 12 verses of John, 1 John chapter 5. Um, and I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to go kind of quick, so you need to, uh, need to make sure. I know it's early in the morning, but you need to make sure you put on your listening, your listening hat, your thinking hat. And we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, get through this first, uh, these first 12 verses, hopefully. If not, it's not the end of the world. We'll come back and pick it up next time. So let's pray. Ask God to bless our time together. Father, we love you. We come before you today, and we just ask that you would bless our reading of your word, that your spirit would go forth today in power. As Brother Eddie's preaching off today, we pray that you'd be with him, that you'd minister through him. Brother Johnny's going to come preach the second service. We pray, God, that you would just anoint him and that you would uh, just descend upon him with, uh, with confidence and with, uh, with assurance that what he's going to say is, is your word and, and it's what the people need to hear. And we thank you for that. And God, now we just ask that you would be with this reading of your word that you've given us and that you would minister to our hearts as we, uh, as we um, uh, come and proclaim it in, in your glory and for your kingdom. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So First John, we've, <clears throat> I, hope you, I hope you've been here through the majority of it anyway. We've been talking through um, pretty much, uh, we started in chapter 1, gone through verse by verse, uh, and now we're in chapter 5. John is winding down his letter, so he's about to, uh, he's about to end. This is the last chapter. There's only 21 verses in this chapter. He's given us a, a, the final thoughts that he has, you know, final instructions for his church, uh, the churches that receive this letter. And uh, I hope you've heard uh, up until now, there's been a constant drumbeat in, in, in 1 John over and over again. It's evidence and assurance, evidence and assurance, evidence and assurance. He's evidence. This is how you know that you are one of God's children. And if you see the evidence, if you see the fruit, then you can be assured that you are one of his and there's nothing in heaven and earth that can take that away from you. Nothing in heaven and earth that can come and, and uh, uh, make you despair or make you uh, uh, think that you need something more. Uh, there's nothing that you need other than to be born again and then grow and walk in what you have. Uh, there's nothing that you need other than the blood of Christ to, uh, to, to cover you and to be, make you righteous before him. And then everything else is growing and walking in what you've, what you've been given. Growing as a new creature. When you were born, uh, you didn't need anything else to be a human being. You are one completely. Matter of fact, I would say when you were conceived, you were a human being completely. But uh, you just grow. You know, your bones grow, your muscles grow, your brain grows. You grow in all kind of things. And the same way when you're born again, you don't need anything other than that to be a child of God, to be perfect in His sight, to be uh, righteous in His kingdom, but you'll grow and you'll walk in all those things. And John has told us that over and over and over and over and over and over again. I hope that you've been here. If you haven't, go, go home and read First John. It's only five chapters. It won't take you long. He said, this is how we know that we are in Him, over and over again. He says, if you say that you walk in the light, but you walk in, if you say you're in the light and walk in darkness, you're lying. If uh, he's told us three tests over and over again, he's going to do it again today. I know it gets old after a while, but 
Those tests are you believe the truth about who Christ says he is, about who the Father says that the Son is and what he did for you. You believe that truth with all your heart. That's the test of doctrine. You have the test of obedience, whether you live after God's commands, whether you walk after God's commands. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about the direction of your life. Do you desire him? Do you desire to be obedient to him? Do you desire to live after his commands? And the third one is do you love the brethren? Do you love the the body of Christ? Because we know that the world doesn't love the body of Christ. And so that's a separating mark between who we are in Christ and who the world is out there. The world hates hates Christ. The, the church loves Christ, and he loves the body of Christ. And so we see those same things over and over again, and that's really the purpose and the intent of this, of this letter of 1 John. Over and over again, he's said these things, and he's repeated himself. So really, you can't misunderstand him. You can't, you can't take a verse out of context and say, well, what this really... Because he's repeated it over and over and over and over. And matter of fact, I, I got to thinking this week, I'm like, wow, they, they're kind of going to get tired of me preaching the same thing because John has said and repeated himself over and over again in different ways and he's intensified it and he's made it more plain and, and expressed it a different way. But basically, he's told us the same thing from the very beginning of this letter to the very end. There's evidence in your life if you are a believer. There's incontrovertible evidence. You can prove it. You can see the fruit of it, and that is the basis of your assurance. And so remember what we talked about, about the context of people coming into the church. There were people coming in. They were saying, you know, that Jesus that you got, we're all about Jesus, and we love him, and it's all good. But if you really want the high stuff, if you really want to get deeper with God, if you really want to know God and to be like God and know who he is, then you need to follow our teachings. We got a little extra. We got a little deeper. We got a little higher spirituality than what you guys have because y'all are walking in the baby steps. And John is saying, no, that's not so. You have everything that you need. And he gives the fruit of how you know that you're in Christ and how you know that those that say they're in Christ are, are not in Christ if they're not. And so last time that we were here, we talked about assurance. We talked about your salvation is rooted in facts. And those facts are evident. And so we, we don't trust feelings. We don't trust uh, uh, what I may think this morning, whether I'm feeling good, whether circumstances are in my favor, whether I'm going through tragedy or trial or suffering. Uh, the circumstances don't matter. What we trust is what God has said in his word. We trust in, in the blood of Christ. And so he's going to continue that here in, in chapter 5. As we begin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go quick. These first three verses, I could spend, I could take time and do a sermon on each one of them because they're so, they're, there's so much in there. But he's telling us something that he's already told us through the letter. It says, verse 1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The test of doctrine. We've seen that over and over again. And everyone that loveth him, loveth Christ, loveth God, that begot, loveth the one who begot, loveth him also that is begotten. If you love God, then you love his children as well. You love those who have been born again. So that's not anything new that we haven't seen. We've seen already in the first verse. He's repeated the test of doctrine. If you, uh, if you believe, if you are believing right now, if you're trusting in the Son of God for your salvation, then you have been born of God. 
If that's a reality in your heart, reality in your life, then you've been born of God. And everyone that loves Him is going to love those who, is born, who are born of God, love the believers. And it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. And so then we have the commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. So right there in those first three verses, we pretty much have the summary of everything that we've talked about so far. You have, if you are a believer in Christ, if you're born again, the evidence is there in your life, number one, that you're trusting in Christ. We're not just talking about believing that somebody existed way back in history. We're talking about trusting your life in Christ. If you are born again, you have trusted in Christ. Last time we talked about there's no need for have I done good enough? There's no need for am I doing good enough? There's no need for have I done everything that God has required of me? We're trusting in Jesus. And so the question, they're really kind of dumb. They don't even make sense if you are trusting in Christ. And so we have those three tests right here. The one who is born again is trusting in Christ. The one who is born again loves the brethren because he loves those that God has begotten. And the one who is born of God is keeping, making a lifestyle of keeping God's commandments. And so basically you got the same, in the first three verses as he's winding down this letter, you got the same things that we've said before over and over again. You live a life of faith. You uh, love the children of God. You keep His commandments. And He wants us to know that if you are born again, that's all that you need. Well, today as we look at the the following verses, what we're going to see is that if you are born again, if you've looked at your life and you see the fruit, I'm not asking you how much fruit do you have. Do you have enough fruit to call it evidence? I'm not asking that. I'm asking if you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He says He wants us to know that you are victorious. You are an overcomer. You have everything that you need. He's going to explain that to us here in just a minute. And the second thing he's going to do is he's going to show us that our belief, our trust in him is based in testimony. It's based in the testimony that God has given of himself. So we're not left without a witness. We're not left without a testimony. We're not basing our, uh, our faith in, man, I just really hope it's so. I hope it's true. No, God has testified on our behalf that it is so and that it is true. And that's what he's going to show us today. And I wanted to put both of these things together. That's why I'm trying to, trying to kind of hurry up and do this. But uh, he says in, uh, in the end of verse 3, we read, The one that uh, uh, is born again he keeps his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Now, that word grievous means burdensome. It means it's a burden to you. It's on your back. It's, on, it's something that weighs you down, something that's, that's a burden to you. It's grieving you to keep God's commandments. And he says, it says that we keep God's commandments because we've been born again, and his commandments are not grievous to us. Now, if you think about it from a worldly perspective, that really doesn't make sense. Of course they're grievous. Of course they're burdensome. You're telling me I'm a slave to somebody else. You're telling me I have to obey this and I have to obey that and I have to walk in this command and I have to do what God says and I can't really live from a worldly perspective. This is what they would say. You're saying that I can't live my own life. I can't make my own decisions. I can't do what I want to do because God has given me these commands, given me these things. How is that not burdensome? How is that not grievous? That really doesn't make sense. And if you've ever uh, felt yourself or, or caught yourself slipping into a works mindset 
where I'm having to work to please God and it's an easy thing to do, then you've realized just how burdensome the law of God is. Just how burdensome the commands of God. If you're trying to keep them in your own strength, trying to work your way to being right with God, I promise you those commands are going to get real burdensome real quick because you really can't keep them. You can't keep them not for five minutes. I, I talked to a person one time about baptismal regeneration one time and uh, this guy believed that the water is what saved you and uh, the, his thing was that you could also lose your salvation. And I said, well, the best thing you could do is drown them jokers in the baptistry because five minutes after you lift them up, they're going to be thinking something wrong, saying something wrong, doing something wrong, omitting something, and, and there you go. You done lost it. But Well, those commands, if you're keeping them in order to be right with God, I promise you they're going to get grievous in a hurry. They're going to get burdensome in a hurry. But he says they are not burdensome. They're not grievous. And you're thinking, well, how can they not be burdensome? And he tells us, he explains it to us in the next few verses. In verse 4, he says, for, this is why they're not burdensome, they're not grievous, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, these folks would come in and they would say, look, you guys are really on a good level to start out with this thing. You guys are really on the first block. You guys are, are, are really making a good showing and you've got the necessary ingredients to begin this journey. But if you want to overcome the world that's out there, that's going to be coming against you and is going to be attacking you, remember, put yourself in the mind of the, of the first century uh, Christian. They were suffering. They were going through trials and persecutions like you can't imagine. They had all these, they were suffering uh, economically. They were in poverty. They were, they were uh, a lot of things going on. I could go into a whole deal about that, but they were suffering in every imaginable way. So when somebody busts through the back door and says, look, we are, have the ones that have the key that's going to unlock your, your wonderful life. It's going to make everything better. Boy, does that sound familiar today or what? We're gonna, we're, we've, got the, we've got the teaching. We've got the principles that you need to know that are finally going to give you over, overcoming. They're, they're going to make you an overcomer. They're going to allow you to conquer. I'm going to teach you a Greek word today. I don't, don't usually do this, but you've seen it many times before. It's called Nike. Remember that, Nike. You probably have seen it on somebody's T-shirt. It's a sports company. They pronounce it Nike. <laughs> But it means victory. It means overcome. It means that's this word, overcometh, overcometh. Victory, it means to triumph, to overcome. And so this is the word that he uses, and he says, look, if you have been born of God, look at what he says in verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God, everyone, everything that has its genesis in God, that has been born of God, is overcoming the world. And this is the victory, the next one is in the perfect tense, that has overcome once and for all the world. What is it? Is it your, is it your, uh, your, your working your way? Is it your learning more? Is it your living further after his teachings? No, it's your faith. It's your faith in Jesus Christ has made you an overcomer. It means you are overcoming the world as you walk in this way over and over again. Are you perfect? No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about being a conqueror. We're talking about one who cannot be held down, held back. You see, the world is continually pulling against those to whom it belongs. It's continually pulling. It's almost like I get a picture of my, in my mind. This might not be a great analogy, but I get a picture of somebody just swimming around in the ocean. There's always something pulling down on them. 
It's the, the ideas of the world and the, 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 uh, the, the values of the world and what the world says is good, what the world says is right, what the world says is valuable, what the things that you need in order to be happy, the things that you need in order to be righteous. And it's always pulling, always pulling. And it just seems like, I don't know how many of y'all have ever been out in the ocean, like in the middle of the ocean, you know, with nothing under your feet and no land in sight, it's kind of a scary thing. If you've ever been in one of those wave pools, you know, even if you're a good swimmer, about, you know, 10, 15 minutes swimming around with them waves kicking you up and down, uh, you get pretty, get a pretty good sense that you're going to drown. You're going to drown real quick. You can't keep yourself. You can't keep yourself from doing that. But understand, we have been lifted out of that. Even though the world has a tendency to tempt us and to try us and to, and to come and whisper in our ear and tell us the things we have overcome because remember what it said in the last chapter? Greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. So we have already conquered. We're not listening to, as far as John's audience, we're not listening to the guys who walk in the back door and saying, listen, if you really want to conquer, if you really want to overcome in this world, if you really want to have what you need, then you need to come follow our principles. You need to come find these things that nobody has ever heard of, these mysteries in Scripture that the church has never found before in 2,000 years. You need to come and have these things in order to overcome. John says, no, whatever is born of God has overcome the world, is overcoming the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. It's our faith. Now, you might be thinking, you might be saying, if you're one of John's opponents, uh, you might be saying, well, I kind of agree with that. I agree with you, John. But what you need to understand, John, this is the guy talking back to John, what you need to understand is there's a special kind of faith that you need in order to overcome there's a special, if your faith doesn't get yay high, then you're not going to receive what God wants for you. You're not going to receive this higher life, quote unquote. You're not going to receive uh, the, the things that you need. You're not going to receive this deeper relationship with God. And there's a, there's a case to be made for growing in relationship with God, a case to be made for growing in faith, growing in repentance. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But it says, it says this is the one that's overcome the world. This is the victory. That overcomes the world. Incidentally, overcometh, victory, and overcometh are all the same word. So it says that whatever's born of God overcomes the world, and this is the overcoming that has overcome the world. He says it over and over again so that you make sure that you know that your faith has overcome the world. And he says this is not a special kind of faith. It says, who is he, verse 5, that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now that is some very basic faith. That's, some, that's a basic teaching. That's what you'd learn in, in Sunday school. That's what you'd learn in vacation Bible school. That's nothing super deep, nothing super uh, uh, extravagant. Matter of fact, I, I got kind of worried a little that, you know, when I come, I'm going to be telling you all Jesus is the Son of God. That's going to be like, is that too elementary? Is that too, you know, God, what am I going to say? How am I going to make them understand that Jesus is the Son of God? That's something we all know. It's something that we've all heard before. I can see y'all walking out going, well, hey, he just told us what we already know. That's kind of the point. That's kind of the point, isn't it? He says, look, this is the victory. This is the overcoming. This is what conquers the world, your faith. And that faith is simply this. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that is believing that Jesus is the Son of God? Simple as that. The one who has been born again, the one who has the Spirit of God dwelling in him, overcomes 
the world, has overcome the world. He has overcome them once and for all, and he is overcoming as he walks through the world. He's doing both. There's both things going on. We have completely won the victory. There is nothing, if you think of yourself as swimming around in this world, if you think of yourself going through life as you're out in the ocean swimming and things are trying to pull you down, there is absolutely nothing that can pull you away from the righteousness that Jesus Christ has given you. There's nothing that can pull you away from the spirit that God has put in you. Now, they can tempt you. They can try you. They can whisper in your ear. They can mislead you for a time. But if you are God's son, God's daughter, he will come and he will discipline you. He will come and lift you out of that temptation or that whatever. He says that he does not tempt nor is tempted and he has, will not allow his children to be tempted without providing a way of escape for them. And so he will discipline as a good father, as a good shepherd. He doesn't lose any that are his. He doesn't lose his own. Everything that's been in his hand is in his hand, uh, cannot be removed from his head. No man takes it out of my hand is what he says. And so remember, these people were going through all kind of things, and John is making sure to tell them, look, I know that you're having trials. I know that the whole world is coming against you. I know that everything but everything is, is piled upon your head right now and there are people, Paul warned of them, that were wolves in sheep's clothing that would come into the body and actually come up from the body. And he, he said, they're telling you, these guys are telling you that you need something other than Jesus. You need, I mean, they're not saying Jesus is bad. They're not saying, oh, that Jesus stuff ain't real and you just whatever. They're saying, no, we believe in Jesus. We're saying that Jesus is good and Jesus is a good way to begin this thing, but you need to move past it and get on with it. You need to come and go get this higher level of teaching, this higher knowledge, this higher spirituality. And he's saying, look, everyone that's been born of God, everyone, that means the five, I'll say five, the nine, 10, 11, 12. I met somebody one time said they were saved at three. You know, I don't know, about, I don't know how that happens, but doesn't matter if you're the 10-year-old or you're the 85-year-old. Everyone who has been born of God has overcome the world and is overcoming the world. There is no margin for error. There is not any uh, uh, if, ands, or buts in that statement to say, well, now, everybody who's been born of God overcomes the world if you do what? There's nothing in there like that. There's nothing. It, you understand it's God living in you. It's God's responsibility to care for his children. And he promised that he would care for I'll never leave you, forsake you. He promised that he would come and discipline you. He promised that every work that I start, I will bring unto completion. It says that in Philippians 1, 6. He say, that's his, that's his work and his will it's God who who works and wills to do in you it's God who does it so you and I if we've been born again we have overcome the world we've conquered the world now sometimes it may not feel like it but you remember what we said last week it's based in fact it's not based in how you feel it's not based in how you now when you realize the fact of it it's probably going to make you feel better make you feel good and that's a good thing, but it's not based in, you know, if I get up this morning, I told you last week, my head hurts, my body aches, everything's going wrong, uh, I'm sick, you know, tragedy has struck, tornado blown my house down, 
You, you just make it as big as you want to. All the bad things in the world that could possibly happen have happened. That does not change the fact that I have overcome the world because Jesus Christ died for my sins, paid for my sin, gave me his righteousness, and I am seen as righteous before the Father. So we have overcome the world. It's, it's, it's a done deal. Jesus said, I go to prepare you a place. If I go away, I'm going to come and I'm going to receive you to myself. There's going to be a day. There is, if you've been born again, there's going to be a day when everything is going to be made right. Not just everything in your life, but everything on this planet. There's going to be a new heavens, new earth. There's going to be a day when there's no more sickness, no more dying, no more parting, no more disease, no more having to worry about this thing or that. And the greatest part about it is there's going to be a time when there's no more sin that I have to battle with. There's no more sin that I have to worry about in my own heart. There's no more on my toes all the time, always looking out to see if my heart is rising up against me or my flesh is rising up against me. I won't have to worry about that anymore because I will be glorified with Jesus Christ so that the right hand of the Father, I'll be in His presence with uh, all those that have gone before me, all those that who have ever been born again, and we will exist there together forever forever so we have overcome we've overcome christ has overcome in us he is the overcomer and paul said we are more than conquerors we are more than conquerors through christ jesus who loved us and he gave himself for us so you need to understand that fact now that's a it's an easy thing to say it's an easy thing to say it's an easy thing to amen when you're sitting in church you know i tell people a lot of times when i'm at the hospital and I'm explaining to them Christ and the gospel and all that they need when they're going through probably some of the hardest times in their life. And I, I, I make sure that I tell them, you know, and that's an easy thing for me to say. I'm sitting over here. You know, I'm sitting in the chair. I get to go home today at 430. You know, you're here in the hospital. You're, you know, you're, you're going to be here until, until you die. And so it's easy for me to say, but understand that I have seen it with my own eyes over and over again. People that have been with, uh, you know, I have the floor that has all the, the, the cancer patients on it when I work. So a lot of times they don't get to leave, you know, when they're, when they're there. And so I've seen it over and over again that people that know Christ, people know that they've been born again, those believers, God still has his people all over. So you can, don't believe everything you see on the news. God's still in control. He still has a kingdom. He still has his people. And you get to see those people. They're not, they're not overcome by the circumstances that they're in. I'm talking about some of the most happy, joyous people I have met have been ones that are on their deathbed. They have overcome the world. There's absolutely nothing. There's absolutely nothing that this life can do to them that will take that joy from them, that will take what Jesus has given them, will take what they have what they have in Christ as far as the kingdom of God and who they are and knowing what's coming next and knowing that they are going to be in a far better place than they are now, knowing that when Jesus returns, he's going to bring them with him and it's going to be new heavens, new earth and all that. There's absolutely nothing in this life. Think about it for a moment. The worst thing, I can give you a bunch of circumstances that are really bad, a bunch of things that, you know, that you might worry about, things that, you know, even it, we can go really, really bad. But there's nothing that this world or this life can do to you that is going to take away the fact that there's coming a day when all that is going to be undone 
and everybody who's gone that you're, that you've, that you're longing to be with is uh, going to be together, those that are born again. You'll get to see the children that have gone on before you. You'll get to see the grandparents that have gone on before you. You'll get to see, most importantly, Jesus who is there at the right hand of the Father that died for you, and you'll get to spend eternity in his presence. And there won't be any more this worry of sickness and dying and car wrecks and sin and all these things. You and I, if we have been born again, we have overcome the world through Christ Jesus, through what he did for us. And it's our faith that he is the son of God that overcomes the world. Now, it, that's, a, that's an easy thing to say. It's not a special faith. It's just a faith, he says, uh, the one that overcomes the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the son of God. But John is going to give us now, as we move into these next verses, he's going to give us evidence. He's going to show us testimony. So let me read, and I want to explain this. this is, these are some difficult verses. It says, this is he. He's telling us who the Son of God is. He said, the one who overcomes, the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. And it says, this is he. It's not just your own personal Jesus, like these guys coming in the back door of John's, John's church. It says, this is he that came by water and by blood, even Jesus Christ. Notice that he says, not by water only. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is true. For the th- three to bear witness, bear record in heaven, the Father, Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, the blood. And these three agree in one. Now, you know who the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost is. That's the easy, easy one. And there's a huge textual variant right there. So I want to focus on the water and the blood. Because sometimes that doesn't make sense. He came by water. What does that mean? He came by water. He came by blood. He came by water and he came by blood. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says, he says, this is he that came by water and by blood, even Jesus Christ. Now, I've told you this name before, but you probably forgot it. His guy's name was Serenthius. We have, we have Serenthus. He, we have, uh, you know, uh, people that have wrote, written against him. And what he believed was that what the Gnostics believed. And it's something that you can see today in the New Age movement. What they believed was that Jesus was just a man. But he became divine at his baptism when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and that's where his messianic ministry started. And then right before the crucifixion, the divine Christ left him. And so it was just a man. Jesus was just a regular old guy like you and me, and he was chosen for a special mission. And at his baptism at the Jordan River, the divine Christ Spirit came upon him and worked his ministry for three and a half years. And then when Jesus was on the cross, uh, Spirit left him, the divine Christ Spirit left him, it was just Jesus. Now John is letting them know that that's a bunch of bull. That's a bunch of bull. Jesus was the Messiah from the very beginning at his baptism. I mean, at his birth, he was God and man, but he existed before his birth. In the book of John, Jesus prayed. He said, look, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. And so he was the divine son of God even before, even before he was born in Bethlehem. But at Bethlehem, he became 
God and man together. And he still is God and man together today. Paul said that uh, in him in him dwells, present tense, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so what he makes sure that we know is that this water and blood were the beginning and the end of his ministry. He said he didn't come the, to these guys who were walking in the back door trying to, trying to move everybody, trying to get everybody to follow them. They would say, now, now Jesus was the Messiah because he came and God you know, zapped him at his baptism. You know, but, but he didn't die for your sins. He didn't die on the cross for you. I mean, he was, he was crucified, but God can't die, so God must have left him. That's where they say that, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They say that's where God left him. John is telling him, no, he didn't come by just water only. He said he came by water and he came by blood. He came and did his, his messianic ministry was started at his baptism. That's where his public ministry started. That's where he was identified by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's when he started teaching and preaching and healing and miracles. That's when all of his messianic ministry began on earth. And it did not end until he completed what the Father sent him to do, which was die on the cross, be baptized in blood, so to speak, uh, at the cross when he died for our sins. He's going to tell us that in these next verses. That's why I want to go all the way to 12 today because he explains it to us. He says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified to it, testified of his Son. Well, let me go back to 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, Father, Word, Holy Ghost, and these three are one. You know who that is. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, the blood, these three agree in one. Understand what he's saying. He's saying that, you know, back in Deuteronomy it said, now nothing can be established unless of the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so you have three witnesses right here that are here on the earth that, have wit- that are witnessing to you, that are testifying to you that what John has said, what Jesus has done is true. You're not relying on your own feelings, your own emotions, your own anything. You have evidence in your life and you have the testimony of God himself. Do you remember what happened? You remember what happened at the baptism of Jesus? What happened? What remarkable event happened? Jesus goes down the water. He comes back up. And what happened? The father himself spoke from heaven. What did he say? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That, that's actually two quotes from the Psalms that talk, about, that talk about his messianic ministry, the Messiah that he was sent. He basically testified right there. John said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what did the Spirit do? The Spirit came and descended upon him like a dove. It descended upon him. Even John the Baptist said, you know, uh, I didn't know him, but the, 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 the Spirit told me that whoever, the, whatever, whichever one the Spirit descends upon and shines upon, that's going to be the Messiah. And he did so right there at his baptism. At his baptism, uh, he was recognized and testified to by the Father himself. Imagine being one of those people that were around. A lot of people came out to John's baptism to be baptized by John in the Jordan. It says that all Jerusalem came out and all that was going on. And then here comes Jesus walking up and Jesus says, John, I want you to baptize me. First thing John says is my baptize, my, this is basically what he said. My baptism is for repentance. It's for sin. You don't need repentance. You don't have any sin. You need to baptize me. I don't need to baptize you. And Jesus said, no, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And he did that. And those people are standing around 
And what happens? He comes up out of the water and all of a sudden they hear a voice from heaven. The father speaking, this is my son. This is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends down upon him. What a testimony that God himself, the father and the spirit, have made to Christ. And then at his, at his crucifixion, what happened? God himself testified that this is the son of God who's dying for the world. The, the clouds went dark. Everything went black as God poured his wrath out on his son. Everything went black. There was an earthquake. All this was going on. And what happened to the veil in the temple? It ripped from the top to the bottom. I don't know if you've ever seen the veil, but there's no way to rip. It's huge and it's thick. It was thick. There's no way to rip it, especially as high as it was. No way to rip it from the top to the bottom. God testified that at the death of his son, at the death of the one that he has sent, there is no longer a hindrance that will come between man and God if they are born again by the Spirit of God. There's no more veil that you need. There's no more high priest. There's no more blood sacrifice that needs to be offered. Everything that you need to be right with God, everything that you need to come and to be in his presence and to be accepted by him and to be loved in a a relationship personally by him has been given to you by the son and God has testified to the fact he says God himself is testifying we've got that no problem with that but he says God has also given you testimony right here he's given you testimony in the water he's given you testimony when he was baptized God himself testified that this is my son and in blood when Jesus came and died on the cross and you cannot deny the fact that he paid for your sin At the cross, remember what he said? He said, Jesus came not by water only, but by water and by blood. He makes sure, it's almost like John wants to emphasize the fact, you can't just say that he came by water, but he came by blood as well. He's emphasizing the fact that Jesus died for your sins, that he stood in your place. He didn't just die to show you what a good death looks like. He didn't die to give you a good example of how to be humble and how to be righteous. He died to actually step into your place, take your sin, and to, and to make you right with God the Father. To make you right. He substituted himself for you. And it says, so it says in verse 9, it says, If we receive the witness of men, and we receive the witness of men all the time, don't we? I was thinking about how often we receive the witness of men. I mean, if you ever go to the doctor, doctor says, I know what's wrong. I'm going to give you a prescription. You just trust that he knows what he's doing. I mean, he might be an idiot. And then when you take that prescription to the pharmacist, you give it to the pharmacist, and they said, okay, here's, I mean, you don't know what they put in that stuff. You don't have a clue how they mix that up. I mean, that guy might have been up for 14 hours smoking crack or something when he mixed your prescription. I don't know. But you take it, don't you? You put it into your body. You trust the witness of men. I, yeah, they know what they're doing. They got it going on. When you, when you drive through the drive through at McDonald's, boy, you, you, you trust in the testimonials of men right there, Jack. I promise you. Uh, no idea what you're eating. What you eating. We trust the testimony of men all the time for all kinds of things. All the time. And it says right here that God himself has testified to you. That Jesus is his son and that Jesus has died for your sins. 
It says if we receive the witness of men, and we do, I could give you 25 more examples of how we receive the witness of men. I mean, you're going to get in your car and you're going to drive 70 miles an hour down the road trusting that whoever put that car together knew what they were doing or programming the robots or whatever. We went to, uh, I took the used zip line in one time and, uh, you know, we, it, was, it was all good. I, I'm scared of heights, so the thing wasn't fun anyway. And the first guy we met when we went up the zip line and was, you know, this long hair. I ain't got nothing against long hair, but he was like long hair guy going, hey, what's up? I was like, oh, oh, I'm not getting up there. I'm, this, guy's, this guy's the one tightening the bolts. I'm out. I'm out. I'm not getting up there and trusting my life on a line. You know, some 70s bebopper got up there with a ratchet tightening. No, I'm out. And so we trust the testimony of men. It says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God, the testimony of God is greater. He's testified. For this is the testimony. This is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. He's talking about the water, the blood, and the spirit. He has testified. God, we have evidence. God himself on earth, where we can see it, came and said, this is my son. I mean, he, he basically told us out of his own mouth, the father said, this is my son. And then at his death, Jesus spent his whole life, his whole ministry telling us who the father is, why he had come, what he must do to fulfill the father's desires, what he must do to pay for your sin, what he must do to make you righteous before him. And then he came and finally fulfilled it. And as he fulfilled it, the, God testified with the sky going black, the earthquake that shook the heavens and the veil that separated man and God being torn and rent forever. And so he has testified also by sending the Spirit. It says the Spirit at the end of verse, verse 8. It says the Spirit has also testified. The Spirit came and dwelt in you, dwelt in you. At Pentecost, the Spirit came in a way that he had never come before, in a way that seemed crazy. There were, there were tongues of fire and, and evidences of things that were going on. And now as you trust in God and you're born again, the Spirit of the living God himself comes in and testifies to your own heart that you have been born of God. There are three that bear witness. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three of these agree. You have the testimony of God himself that Jesus is all that you need. That you have been born again by the spirit of God. And so it says, the spirit also testifies. I could take you to John chapter 15. We're running out of time. Where Jesus said, uh, I go away. The comfort is going to come. And Jesus specifically said, he will testify of me. John 15, 26, I think that's where it's at. So let me finish reading these things. He says, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness, this testimony, in himself. Why is that? Because the Spirit dwells in you. He that believeth not God has done what? Has made God a liar. So what you're saying, Mr. Man, walking in the back door telling me I need something more than Jesus, is that God has lied. Because God specifically testified that his son is sufficient, that his son is enough, that he is the one that was sent from God, that his death and his resurrection has paid for my sin. It says, if you believe the son of God, you have this witness. The spirit lives inside of you. And if you don't believe, then you have made God a liar because he that believeth not the record, which is the same word as witness, testimony, that God gave of his son. It says witness or testimony like nine times just in these verses. It says, 
He has, you've not believed the record. And this is the record. He's leaving you no doubt as to what the record is. This is the testimony. This is the witness that God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. It's as simple as that. Final verse in verse 12. You can't get any more simple than this. You can't get any more overt. You can't can't misunderstand this phrase. You can't misunderstand this verse. It says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not the life. You can't make it any more plain than that. There's no ifs. There's no ands. There's no buts. Someone comes along and they do it all the time. They'll say, well, can I do this and be saved? Can I do that and be saved? Can I be like this? And can I, what if this happens? And what if it, all you have to remember is that he that had the son has the life. And he that does not have the son does not have the life. It's as simple as that. So that's my answer. When somebody says, well, what if somebody does this? I say, he that has the son has the life. And he that has not the son has not the life. Now, you can ask all kind of questions about all kind of things, and we can make a big deal about how far I have to go. We can make a big deal about how much fruit I have to have or what does this mean or what does that mean in my life. We can make a big deal about this teaching or this doctrine or this, that, and I'm, I'm all about that. I'm, I'm doctrine guy. I'd love to do that with you. But when you boil it all down to the, to the brass tacks, it's simply this. The one who has the Son has everything that God has to offer. And the one that does not have the son has absolutely nothing. You can't work for it. You can't try to get it by learning. You can't put it into your brain. You can't try to do better. You can't try to make something out of nothing. You can't try to, you can't try to work your way there. You can't try to do better, be better, be a nicer person, be more spiritual, be more religious. You have to have the son in order to have the life. And if you don't have the son... I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. I don't care how you act. I don't care if you're one of the most moral people that I've ever met in my life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. It's as simple as that. And this has been testified to. God has testified. We've seen in verse 6, 7, and 8, he's testified in a bunch of different ways. I don't have time to go through. I skipped over some because we just there's not enough. We can, we can preach a sermon from verse 1. And on each verse as we go down through the text. But God himself has testified that this is so. And so what you're doing, listen to me, Christian. When it comes down to it, we've talked about evidence. We've talked about assurance. We've talked about all those things in 1 John over and over and over and over again. You ought to know it by now. You ought to be able to preach a sermon about it by now because we've seen it over and over again as we've looked through 1 John But when it all boils down to what John is trying to make sure we know before he ends this letter, he says, look, if you are born again, if you're born again by the Spirit of God, you've trusted in Christ, you have the Son of God on your account, you have everything that you need to be righteous before God, everything that you need, everything that you need to be in relationship with God. And so when any thought pops into your mind, when any whisper comes to your ear, when any circumstance comes into your life, we don't allow those things to test and try. Probably test is not the best word, but to affect our assurance in the promises of God. 
It says because God himself, can you imagine we've given evidence over and over again in 1 John, but in this courtroom of salvation, if you want to call it that, we've seen the evidence of the fruit, we've seen the evidence of belief, we've seen the evidence of of all these things in our life, and now it's time for the testimony to be given. God himself has given testimony that Everyone who is in the Son has overcome the world. Everyone who has the Son has the life. God himself has stepped forward and said, this is my testimony. This is my evidence. This is my, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, It's almost like, uh, I wish I could think of a good example. Like somebody who knows, like if you, if you, Guy, you're at a car show and you're saying, you walk up to a car and this is just probably a bad example, but you say, this is, this is a special kind of car and you tell me all about the car, Bobby, you probably know about more than this. And this is, this is what's in the car and you explain the car and all this. And the guy who actually owns the car, who built the car, walks up and says, no, no, you got it all wrong. And he starts naming off all the things that he put in the car and what he done to the car. This is God himself who, who gave the son who came up with the plan, who gave us salvation, who has done all these things, he himself has testified as to what he has done. And his testimony is this. This is the record. This is the testimony. Verse 11, this is the record that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He that has the son has the life. He that has not the son has not the life. All you need for assurance, man, I've already gone over, is the Son of God on your account. I hope that made sense. I was going, trying not to go too fast, but I had to go quick because I want you to, I wanted you to see the end result of, of all these verses is that God has given us more than enough evidence to know that we have everything that we need. You don't have to work for anything higher. You'll grow in what you have. You'll grow in who you are. You'll grow in the Lord, the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if you have the Son of God, you have all that God has to offer you. I hope, you may, I hope that makes sense. I hope, I hope it registers. Because as long as you live in this world, you're going to have trials. You're going to have temptations. You're going to have things pulling at you, grasping at you. I get the image of a this little yapping dog. I hate the little yapping dogs. Always following you around, just nin 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 all the time. But if you have the Son of God, you have overcome the world. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no weapon form that can come against you and prosper. The question is, do you have the Son? If you have the Son, you have the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the life. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank